Welcome everyone to another episode of Taking Stock. I'm Anil Stocker and um, I'm the co-founder of Market Finance. We started way back in 2011 and have been building the business since then. And one of the highlights of what I do is to talk with other entrepreneurs, um, partners, you know, people in the industry that are growing the fintech and tech scene here in London. Uh, and today I'm very happy to be hosting Mandeep Singh, um, a fellow entrepreneur and a friend um, who founded, uh, co-founded a great company called Truva, uh, which is a marketplace uh, for the best independent and boutique shops across Europe. Uh, I've known Mandeep for quite a few years now. We've had, uh, we've had a few beers here in, in Bermondsey Street, I remember, uh, comparing notes on, on uh, the trials and tribulations of of building a company, the things that are going wrong and, and, and things that are going well, and why, we, why did we get into this in the first place? So I, I thought you were a great uh, person to bring onto the show and, and pick your brain. So thanks for uh, joining us, Mandy. Well, thank you for having me, much appreciated and for those kind words. So what I like, what I think we have in common with our businesses is that, you know, at Market Finance, we try and help, you know, ambitious business leaders, entrepreneurs, you know, follow their dreams and scale up their, their businesses and employ people and, and, and generate you know, great products and great solutions for their local communities. And, and you know, what's, one, what's really good about Truva is that you, you have a similar mission, don't you, in the sense that you're helping a lot of these independent retailers uh, in local communities. Tell me, how does it work, the model, exactly? Sure, yeah. So we, um, we're a marketplace, so obviously there's, there's two sides. And for, on the customer side, we've got customers who, who want to be inspired and find beautiful products that you can't find in the big chains or on Amazon and are only in stock in, in wonderful little independent shops and boutiques. Um, and on the shop side, as you say, um, we work with amazing independents who have physical stores. Um, but um, might be struggling or might not be big enough on their own to really take advantage of the shift from offline shopping to online shopping. So we, uh, we um, help these independents get online. We, we provide a technology platform for each of our independent shops, everything from inventory management through to logistics. And so every product you see on Truver is in stock in one of our independents. We don't hold any products ourselves. Every single product is, is coming from an independent and customers can browse across now almost a thousand independents across Europe on Truva.com in one place, buy through the platform. And uh, we make sure that the product comes from directly from that independent store to, to, to you, um, wherever you are in the world. Great. And g give us a sense of the scale. So, you know, obviously the high streets have been, dominated a lot of high streets are dominated by these big brands and these big big stores but people forget i guess how many independent retailers there still are there often you know smaller businesses or family run um what, what's the kind of measure that you're looking at is it the kind of number of boutiques that are on the platform or is it number of transactions like what's the metric that you care a lot about sure yeah so first the, i mean the independent shop market is is ginormous and, and and you're right people do forget forget it um I mean, there are over 20,000 independent stores in the, in the UK alone. Um, that's all sorts of categories and all sorts of products, though. So we don't necessarily work with, with everyone. In fact, we're quite picky about who, who fits the, the Truva criteria. But um, 
even in the kinds of categories we focus on, which are you know things like homewares, fashion, gifts, actually um, the majority of retail is still offline. You know, eighty to ninety percent of retail in these categories still takes place, at least pre pre pandemic, in in physical stores. So there's um there's a huge market out there. Um, but we um, we don't just we do look at the number of shops on the platform and it's uh, yeah over almost a thousand nine hundred now across Europe. But for us, what's much more important um, a metric is how much sales we're generating for each of our independent stores, and um, why what what we really um, aim to do is drive enough online sales for each of our independent stores that it it helps them keep their store open and helps them pay their rent. That's really our metric. Can we generate enough sales that they don't, they can keep their shop running even if, um, even if football decreases in, in future or, or even disappears. Interesting. And, and do you, and, and who typically buying off, who's, who's the, who is the, what's the average persona or the profile of person who's buying these things? Are they doing it for birthday gifts or, you know, what is the, what's the trigger point that people would come onto your site versus going to ASOS or some more like more mainstream site? Sure. Um, so most customers are buying for themselves. Um, um, we're, we're now only about 50% UK, but still the biggest market is UK. Then after that, Germany, we, we, we don't ha haven't officially launched yet, but in other countries, but we have a lot of customers in France, the US, etc. Um, but the thing that really um, binds these customers together is that, they are coming because they don't necessarily know exactly what they want to buy. They, they want to fall in love with a beautiful product. And so we talk about words like inspiration and discovery. And ultimately our customer wants to buy something that's pretty special and unique. And um, that, could, that can be a gift, but actually most of the time, yeah, they're buying for themselves or buying something for their home, buying an item that they really treasure. And that's what you don't really get when you go to one of the, the big guys. And particularly if you don't want your home or yourself to look the same as everyone else, right? And, I mean, who, who does? And, and that's often what happens if you're, if you're buying from the large chains. Yeah. It's that awkward moment when you, you go to some sort of party and you've got the same shirt as someone else. It was right. like on sale uh, next or something like that. <laughs> yeah, know, like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So, Okay, so let's get to the to the point. We're living in crazy times, COVID, lockdown. Um, all the you know these shops are non-essential. I'm guessing. Um, so, are you the lifeline then for these businesses? I, I mean, are they are you saving them? Literally saving them from going out of business? So, um, it's obviously been a pretty um, pretty busy time for us um, with the pandemic and. And um, yeah, I mean, we've certainly, you know, I don't, I don't like the word, I don't like the terms saving them because that implies that, you know, these independents need to be saved when, when in fact, you know, a lot of them are fantastic and have great products that you can't find in the, you know, in the, in the big guys. And that's why they, that's why they've survived and thrived. Um, but clearly um, we work with shops who um, may almost solely be trading offline in their bricks and mortar store. And the whole origin of the business was that, Yes, only you know eighty to ninety percent. So only ten to twenty percent of transactions in these types of categories taking place online. Online, but that's going to increase over time. Um, and what what's obviously happened with the pandemic is just that overnight ginormous shift in shopping from offline to online. Um, in um, in a way which I don't think anyone could have 
could have foreseen. I mean, we even had, you know, here in the UK, Boris Johnson going on TV and encouraging people to buy online from from, from offline shops. So um, it's um, in that sense, you know, it clearly has been like it's always been what we've been about and the DNA of the business. And it's just, yeah, suddenly overnight become a lot more important. Um, but one of the big challenges initially was, um, was that some of our shops, you know, are in the home category and could have opted to stay open, but, but, um, very, very few, um, did. Um, and one of the, but one of the first challenges was, um, all our fulfillment takes place from physical stores. And so, um, and in some cases, you know, the owners couldn't even get to their shops. Um, we, we actually now have a few shops in Italy, in Rome. So we actually saw the lockdowns in Italy first, and we used that as a bit of a test bed to figure out what we were going to do to help independent shops elsewhere across, across Europe. And so um, the team um, worked phenomenally hard to do things like uh, moving the inventory in some cases from the store to the store owner's home. So they could literally work from home during the pandemic and redirecting couriers to be able to pick up items from, from store owners' homes. Um, in some cases, it was moving inventory to a warehouse. In some cases, it was a bit simpler. Maybe the, even though the, the physical doors were shut to customers, the, the owner could get to the store and carry on trading, um, particularly in, like, for example, the Nordic countries. But generally speaking, um, yeah, overnight, they had to shut their physical doors. And so the team worked really, really hard and, and and amazingly managed to keep the, the, the majority of the shops um, still open, like 75% of the shops in, in the UK carry, were ca able to carry on trading, even though their physical stores shut. Uh, so um, that, was, that was the first step. Um, and then clearly we've seen a big step up in engagement from a lot of our shops where we are, um, if, maybe not even if not their only, certainly their main channel to trade during the pandemic and um and that was great and you know we've also been at the forefront of trying to help our shops understand um you know what's out there in terms of government support and some of the rates relief for example that the government announced um but then what was a positive surprise um and it's been pretty amazing was that um because obviously of this enforced shift in retail from offline to online customer demand you know exploded essentially and customers who might previously never have bought online before um, were buying online for the first time. And a lot of the chains actually struggled to sell online during the pandemic. You know, maybe they had a single warehouse and so they couldn't do social distancing. You know, the likes of Dunelm and, and Metaforce have been well reported to, you know, to have to stop trading initially. Whereas we, you know, each of our independents, because they're, they're owner managed, they, they were able to trade and, and really take advantage of that, of that huge pickup in demand. That's super interesting because almost like, yeah, being less uh, centralized helped in that in that way. You're a bit more nimble. You could, you know, you yeah. could get out and you weren't captive to a factory being open and big staff members being there. It's quite, it's quite exactly. It, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think it's something we perhaps don't realize more that this decentralized model of, of retail that Alex and I have tried to, to build can be a real advantage. Right. And, and uh, particularly moments like this. Uh, and even if some shops couldn't stay open, you know, the majority could, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and give us a sense of like this increase in demand. Was it like double or, or triple or give us a bit of a sense of that? Sure, um, so um, I mentioned that one of the key metrics we look at is, is, um, is how much each individual store is doing. Um, and, it, and it's picked up more since then, but last time 
I looked at the numbers, you know, each individual stores were doing 60% more sales during the crisis than they were before the pandemic. Um, and that's continuing to increase. So not only is um, only a Truva overall doing a lot more sales year on year, but what's, what's even more important for us is that each individual shop is driving, is doing far more sales than they were um, before, before the crisis. Yeah. And it would be, I guess you see that. So you see that online, you see the online component uh, of their sales only you don't see the offline component or do you see both we, we sometimes do um you know sometimes because we can see shops uh, managing their inventory through our software so we can see offline sales and then also they'll often share that that data because we also want to look at what proportion of their sales we're driving but um but yeah i mean obviously in, in the pandemic you know um, it went to 100 percent online almost overnight yeah, exactly. And it's, I'm just wondering whether the, you know, that increase in the online kind of made up for the, presumably the offline went down to zero because no one was walking into the store and buying. Right. Um, probably my guess is that they probably didn't quite cover it, but, but, but you never know, right? Maybe it's kind of, it probably, it feels like a lot of these retailers used to have a side wing of their business, which was kind of online and it was small percentage. And now suddenly that is the business. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we some of our shops have been on the platform for um, for a couple of years. You know, we're driving hundreds of thousands of pounds of sales a year for. So, so actually, that kind of increase does more than make up for their offline sales. But the but the majority, maybe some of the, the newer shops, it, it's, it was less about necessarily trying to cover every single sale that they would have had offline, um, but about trying to a give them a channel so that they're not stuck with a, a bunch of excess stock no pun intended um that they otherwise wouldn't be able to shift and and as, as you you'll know better than i do um you know margins can be very very tight in retail particularly as an independent retailer and so if your capital's all tied up in the stock you know you can't buy anything can't buy any new stock it's a well. It's been a well-publicised problem with chains like Primark's been stuck with a bunch of inventory it can't sell because it doesn't have an online presence. But but also for us, even just by cover, just by increasing the sales by by that amount, their online sales, it it does create a uh, enough revenue to, that is you know it is a lifeline to help them cover their rent uh, because they also often fall between the cracks of some of the government support out there. Um, the, the owners themselves are not covered typically by by furloughing or by self-employment. So, you know, for us, it's 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 about generating enough sales to keep them alive, right, um, during during the crisis. And what's what's your are some on the downside? Are some going out of business? Are, are some are some saying like, look, we we've we've had a go at this and it's not working, and we're we're hanging up our boots, or is or is there a feeling that actually the balance back is going to come sooner and 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 we're going to get back on track quite quite quickly so so we've not seen uh you know our shops um you know in particularly going out of business and and obviously that's you know i'd, I'd like to think that's a large part down to the amazing what the team's been doing through their online sales in the wider independent shop and independent restaurant market you know i'd be very surprised if that isn't the case um one of the things that um been quite interesting for us is that because we have quite a lot of shops in Germany. Um, Germany is one of the first uh, countries in Europe to open up again to, to non-essential retail and um, things have not returned to normal. 
and, and at least the early evidence suggests you know, um, people are st still wary of going out and shopping offline and um, and I suspect that a lot of people have bought online for the first time and have found the experience very convenient and, and may not return to the offline world so we don't think that there's going to be a return to normality pre pre crisis but um, for our shops at least you know um, it's not we don't we're not looking to drive replace all their offline sales online permanently um, and um, and those offline sales you know will, will return and, and as long as they are they're generating enough revenue to to kind of survive this this the storm really interesting really interesting so let's move a little bit to your business then did uh, did you have to change how you did business did you used to have people going out and signing up these shops in person uh knocking on doors and or or yeah how, what's happened at, at truva that your company itself yeah i mean interesting enough that that is the that has been the most affected um team um, and alex my co-founder who who now runs the business the ceo you know has has seen you know has had to do some work because for some teams like business development um yeah the model of flying out to cities and going to visit shops it's just not been seen possible um i mean fortunately we um we do get a lot of shops who just contact us directly and who who will sign up you know over over phone or, or just over over the web so it's not it's not fully being affected um you know, certainly our, um, you know, we don't have an operational team per se, as in we don't hold products ourselves in the warehouse, et cetera. So operations for us per, per se has not been directly impacted. But as, as, as I talked about, we've had to be very um, nimble and, um, and uh, imaginative in, in how to help the, the shops carry on trading and keeping them open. And, uh, and moving all the courage to, to collect from owners homes is something that we just never would have done before um, so um there's certainly been um there's certainly been um impacts in in how we do how we do business even even though the business has has grown um, fantastically through the crisis so any other changes in your business that will be permanent you think through this through this crisis well i mean one, one which isn't certainly not unique to truth and i'm i'm sure um all your listeners are thinking about is, is the model of, of work um so uh, we, we truva decided to to shut down our office quite quite early ahead of, ahead of lockdown i mean interesting enough we've always had a um remote working has always kind of been part of the dna of the, the business and um, partly because a lot of our team are in lisbon as well as london um but um we we felt, so it's helped with that transition but you know i don't think we'll be going back to office working in the same way again for sure um and so we're certainly think re, re, you know certainly rethinking about um what kind of side of office space we might need whether actually everyone does need to you know be in be in the office different for some people some people um i think definitely prefer the office environment um for others they are more comfortable with, with remote working so I, I certainly suspect that um the the model of mandating everyone to come into the office is is not gonna be the future for sure yeah you wonder what's going to happen to all these offices in london right. because everyone i'm speaking to is saying the same thing and you, you just got to wonder like uh you know are those buildings going to be repurposed and what are they gonna what are they going to be um yeah so i totally agree and i, and I suspect the, the real estate industry hasn't quite clocked onto that yet because a lot of you know maybe the large corporates haven't, haven't thought about this yet but um 
you're certainly seeing a lot of rates rents being renegotiated you know leases being terminated rent free periods and and i think it, yeah it changes the whole commercial office space environment in cities across the world on the sim yeah i mean if you take a, even a broader view it changes the whole concept of what a city is because uh, cities will places right. people would come and work and live in close proximity to their work and, and if you don't need to do that anymore you know why 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 do you need to live in the city um, yeah, exactly. Very interesting topic, which we could uh, talk for hours on. Um, right. So your your background is is private equity, working for big uh, organize, you know, big organizations, famous organizations that invest in, in big companies and consultancy as well. Why did you choose to start a business? Yeah, and um, good question. So yeah, as you say, I, you know, my my career path after university was was um, was initially very traditional um, strategy consultancy than private equity investing. Um, a, bit, a bit of my background that might help explain why I always had the itch, you know, when I was a, when I was a teenager, I set up a web design business from my bedroom with the mate. So I've been doing web development since I was 14. So, and so I think I'd always had that, that itch. Um, but um, one of the, quite aside from like the, the idea behind what, what became true of it, in terms of enabling these independent shops to get online and and building a destination for this this kind of inspirational commerce um one of the things that actually uh inspired me was seeing businesses that have been founded by great entrepreneurs and when i was in private equity whilst we were buying very large companies like you know one of the smallest actually was foxton's um but or fitness first um, or yeah, intel site in, in the us um most of these businesses had been founded by entrepreneurs and um I found myself wanting to be on that side of things. Uh, I personally found it quite frustrating being an, an investor um, because you know your your job was not to run the business, and it was a business that someone else had created that you know you were lucky enough to buy. Um, so for me, um, that that itch got bigger and bigger, and I, and I kind of realised that if I didn't um, if I didn't quit to go start something, then uh, I had my fear that I'd wake up one day and had you know great you know kind of um corporate career as it were um you know um but never have actually gone and done what 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 i was really passionate about interesting and uh, you've been you've been one of the you know where you're one of the early cohorts of entrepreneurs i think in london in this london scene you you uh, you've been a, been around for a while and, and i've noticed that you're also doing angel investing as well in, in some companies is is that are you looking to do more of that is that is that something that excites you now that you've learned some lessons you want to you want to mentor startup startups as well right well so so as you say um um i trever actually only, only launched in late 2015 but but alex and i um started building it in 2013 and and seven years is a long time actually in the in the london startup scene um, and we, I've seen a lot over that time. And one of the things that um, I, I wonder if it, I, I might be in the same for you, Anil, but one of the things that I found most difficult was was the first couple of years, you know, raising that first money and taking people who really believed in us and and building the product and finding product product market fit. And I think there's a lot of them um, that the, the London stock scene has changed a lot. There's a lot more uh, capital around that, but most of that capital is directed when for for business which may be a late seed they've already launched their kind of driving revenue and starting to scale so um i look back at those first couple of years and i was really really lucky to meet a bunch of entrepreneurs who were 
you know, sometimes only a little bit ahead of me and um, sometimes much further ahead of me. You know, like, like yourself, um, like you know, Tom Blomfield, who at Go Carlos at the time, now Monzo. Um, and and um, those, um, those entrepreneurs were like the biggest help to me because they'd been on the journey. And then also they'd been on the journey not that long ago. And so um, one of the things that when, when I was CEO of Truva that I found quite guilty about was that I did, you know, I'd have a, often a lot of uh, startup founders reach out to me looking for advice. And, and as you know, you're just so busy that you sometimes just don't have the time to be able to, to spend time with everyone you want to. So now I've got a little bit more time. Um, certainly um, one of the things that I'm really loving is, is spending time with other startup founders or earlier stage and just sharing some of the lessons of, you know, what we did well but also you know all the things we did badly um and um and sometimes investing in them as well so um for me it, it's i'm doing it because i find it interesting and i think that i also think that we as um entrepreneurs um almost owe it to other startup founders to do that i think it's something that in the us is much more advanced particularly in the, in the valley where a lot of angel investors are previous entrepreneurs and historically in, in, um, in London, it's, you know, it's largely been people who've made their money from finance, which, yes. you know, is, is great, but you know, the, 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 that's very different, right? It's just, it's, there's offering capital, but there's, there's really being able to empathize with the journey and, and offer personal experiences. So cut a long story short. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm spending a lot more time doing angel investing and helping out other startups. Um, and, um, it's something I, I just doing because I enjoy it as well as, as well as something I think we, we should, we should do. Yeah, and I'm seeing a lot. I'm seeing a lot more of that happening now uh, from the kind of what I call the early cohort of entrepreneurs, um, of people who have, you know, started businesses. You know, might, might be running them, but maybe take a step back from the daily operations and have more time. A little bit like, I guess, what you're doing now. Um, that free because it, it is time consuming, right? To 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 do that and find businesses to invest in and mentor them and give them and give them some uh, some uh, some advice. Um, and so, if you were like, you know, if I came to you and I and you were and you invested and and how, how you know how 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 involved are you do you and what's i mean get, give us an example what's one thing that you you look back on and you thought you could have done better like in 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 when you built truva yeah so um i think one of the um so as you listen may may not know um between 2013 15 when when arts and i were, were building what became true but we, we were called street hub um and um we were initially focused on building the the b2b side the, the technology layer for the, for the shops and hadn't really figured out necessarily what the consumer side was going to be and um I, and when i particularly look back at those first couple of years we, we were very fortunate that we had um some large you know some pretty amazing investors um like index ventures and robin klein at, at local globe and, and octopus invested in us very early but that was very that was actually a very tough period because you know, we had um big names who invested and uh, a lot of pressure and we hadn't really figured out um what the uh, revenue model was going to be and what the consumer side was going to be and so i look back at that and you know, i think we spent a lot of time you know doing things that um that felt good at the time like you know things and i'll pick a random example i spent a lot of time doing pr um when i you know I, I wish someone had just said to me like you know just just focus on focus on cracking product market fit and you know, and maybe even like maybe we shouldn't have taken uh, such large investors so early because I think that that's not their forte, really helping you helping you through that kind of thing. So, you know, sometimes it's just the you know, we've fortunate to to raise quite a lot of capital 
over the years. But, um, you know, some of those lessons around fundraising are some of the things that I look back on and, and you know, pretty much, you know, everything, you know, every mistake we could make, we probably have made at some point. So, you know, hopefully I, I can help other founders um, avoid at least some of them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the advice of, from people who've started from literally nothing, like, you know, an idea, a piece of paper, you know, talking around the dinner table is, is super valuable because there's quite a lot of people in, in the venture community who've never done that. Um, and they're really good at, 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 you know, looking at market sizing and, and, you know, they're super smart people, but in that, in those darkest hours of, you know, what should I be spending my time on? You know, what, what do I do next? You know, those, you know, who do I hire right now? I think that that's, you, could, you know, there's nothing better than hearing it from someone who's been through that journey themselves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you talked about happening more in London. I think, the value's got to the point where a lot of the angel investors and even you know a lot of the the, the venture community um, were former entrepreneurs, and so as we see more exits, as, as we're seeing the shorts here, I hope we'll see more of that. Because one of the my overall lessons uh, is that entrepreneurship is bloody hard, right? Really bloody hard. And so sometimes even just having you know um, someone you can talk to about that who understands that can be can be super valuable. Yeah. What's your best? Uh, what's your best investment you've done? Angel investment. I yeah. see you <laughs> on your LinkedIn. Uh, well, um, it's um, that'd be really harsh on, on picking um, which ones um, have you know. Uh, if I pick well, one, Urban, of them, um, is doing well, isn't it? Or it used to be doing well. I don't know about anymore. Uh, which one? Sorry. Um, Urban. urban massage urban right right yeah I mean that's one of the, the late stage ones that they've raised at series B um, and um, as you say it's um, it's obviously well like a lot of businesses right it's, it's called business uh, can't run the moment but I think they're doing a good job at trying to work hard at doing helping people with things like remote um, wellness um, and it's obviously I felt another marketplace which which um, is close to my heart um, and um, I have a I'm also invested in a, in a friend's company called Urban Jungle uh, it's an insurance business and nothing to do with the same, but I only call it urban. So which one um, a bit confusing, but that's a great business as well. Much closer to your area. And it's a consumer fintech business, helping, helping, um, disrupting insurance, but, but starting off with, um, with renters. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Well, listen, thanks for taking the time uh, to share some of your insights into what's happening, not only in the market you operate in, but a little bit more about yourself as well. So, um, appreciate it. Um, we have to. We always end with one question when taking stock of what you've done so far in your entrepreneurial entrepreneurial career. Um, what would what advice would you give yourself right at the beginning? Yeah, um, I don't think we've got time for all that. Um, but just picking um, one thing. Um, I think hire people who are better than you, um, and I, and I think that is um, one of the conundrums of being a founder that initially you, you kind of have to do everything. Um, but over time, you're, you're probably not the best at any of those things. And so finding great, great people who you can really trust to take on those bits of the business, no matter what they might be, is, um, has, been, has been amazing at, at Truva, and I, I wish we'd done that soon. Excellent. That's a very, very common, uh, very common piece of advice and what, what, what I'm hearing a lot from entrepreneurs and what you learn in this journey. Uh, which is, as you say, I mean, we could be talking for hours on, on the things that we've learned. Right. But that's a, that's a good note to end on. So, Mandeep, thank you very much. Thanks for taking time. Goodbye. Thank you, Anil. Thank you for having me. Cheers.